Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we are back with Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast, also a contributor at Knicks Film School, one of our all-time favorite guests. And Alex, our, our questions today and our answers are going to seem a little bit weird because we recorded this Wednesday night before Frank Nilakina's uh, breakout dramatic reappearance on the scene in, in, in that incredible win over the Kings. Um, but... I will say we, we might have tanked this episode if our if our takes held up horribly and we were like, you know what, Frank sucks. He's never going to play again. He's horrible. Um, but we did not say that. We said very good things about Frank, and it, it came to fruition. So let's we're kind of like jumping to the past to take a look at a future that's now already happened. Yeah, and and you know the mailbag questions that we got. The first one was, what should the Knicks do with Frank if Tibbs continues to not play him? We sort of made the argument that you know maybe it would be best to let him go if that was the case, uh, you know, via trade or whatever. But we'll talk about that, uh, which hopefully is a moot point now, but still fun to to talk about. Uh, we talk about what would be the most balanced lineup that the Knicks could put out, and there was kind of a interesting thing that you pointed out on Twitter. I was sort of prescient in a way, not a, not a common occurrence that I, I you know make a really really good basketball take to the point that it it becomes real life. So pretty. Good thing to hang my hat on. You can hear about that in that question. And then finally, we have a long debate about what would be more desirable between uh, if the Knicks make the playoffs, would you rather take the Nets to seven games and lose a hotly contested series with a crosstown rival and you know potential title contender, or would you rather win a first round playoff series? So we have a pretty hot debate about that. That's all next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Up, up, left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. He's Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster in non-pandemic times during this uh, borderline apocalypse. I am a, a meager podcaster. And I'm joined, as always, by the great Alex Wolf, uh, the editor-in-chief of the Best Knicks website on the internet, The Strickland. And we are joined once again by Tom Piccolo in this one. Uh, and we will, we will jump right into it right now with Tom. All right, next question comes from Caleb Noel at underscore C Noel underscore. What should the Knicks do with Frank if Tibbs continues not to play him? Trade him or resign him to the qualifying offer? And I don't know, I think this is kind of a weird question because what the Knicks should do with Frank, at least as far as I'm concerned, like went out the window a long time ago. It's more so that if if Tibbs doesn't play him, they're not going to give him the qualifying offer. But I don't know, Tom, what, what do you what do you think of that? Right, at this point, you just have to trade him. It's a sunk cost. Like there's, there's no rehabilitating value at this point. Um, I think you just find a team who is intrigued by his tools and who thinks he might have some upside as a reclamation project. And you just, I mean, you get probably a 
mid to late second rounder at this. I mean, that's that's what he's going to be worth. It'd be hard to argue otherwise, um, given how much time he's seen and and how his kind of injury history as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think trade if you can trade him, that would be the best case scenario. I think for both parties. Yeah, I man, I hate to say it, like, but the if if this is going to continue to be the the trend where he's just not going to play, then yeah, the the kindest thing to do for him is to trade him. The other side of that is it's uh, Leon Rose knows this better than anybody. It would be a great move to like appease Frank's agent for potential deals down the line to trade him now and find him somewhere where he can find playing time. Um, although I, if I'm not mistaken, Frank doesn't exactly, he's not exactly working with like a mega power agent. I think it's a, a smaller agent in France that only has him and a couple other clients, at least on stateside. Maybe he's a bigger, uh, bigger presence over in Europe, but I, I could be wrong about that. I know Frank changed his management at one point, but I think it was actually from CAA to the guy in France, if I'm not mistaken. Um, which in that case, you know, maybe I, I have no idea, you know, what goodwill you would want to, you know, earn there or whatever. Maybe he's going <laughs> to, Frank's agent is going to represent Victor Wembenyama in a few years, who's a huge French prospect, literally and figuratively. He's like a seven foot three guy that can literally play like a wing. Um, he's like everything that we thought Chris Stapps Porzingis could maybe be, but isn't. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I guess my answer would be that, not to put it like this, but like sort of the humane thing is to trade Frank at this point, like to just be nice and be like, Hey, we'll help you find somewhere where hopefully you can play and find a role. If the plan is just to not play him. If it were up to me selfishly, I would say Simon is QO because, you know, I want him to come back and maybe get a chance to play one more time for this team next year. Um, but the reality is, is that if he signs the QO, it likely just means that he wants out. Um, because that's pretty much the only reason that players sign that. It means, you know, signing the QO means, you know, the team doesn't care about you enough to extend you, um, but they also don't want to let you go. So they want to just kind of hold you hostage for another year and like see what your development yields and stuff like that, um, which is just kind of not cool. So, yeah, I guess at this point it would just be to trade him, find him somewhere we can hopefully find get playing time and thrive. But all I know is I'll definitely, I'll always be rooting for him, like wherever Frank plays, because I think he's a really good kid. And I, I hope he makes it in the NBA. But it's starting to just seem increasingly like as much as we want it to happen, it, it just might not happen with the Knicks. Knicks will rise at Knicks will rise. Can you form a better, more balanced lineup than IQ, Frank, RJ, Mitch, um, assuming they're all healthy and in rhythm? I, I said repeatedly at the beginning of the year that this was my, or, or excuse me, once IQ started playing really well, that this was my, my dream lineup. And I would, I'd kill to see like five, 10 minutes of it. Maybe that Cavs game, was it the Cavs game where Frank was hitting all the threes? They might've gone to this a little bit, but I, I think, I think the idea that this is a balanced lineup rests on the idea that Frank can hit threes, but in a world, I, which maybe hypothetical world, where he's a thirty-seven percent three-point shooter, this this works. This works pretty perfectly. I actually don't think that Frank and IQ have shared the floor yet together this year. Isn't that heartbreaking that it might never happen? I yeah, don't I don't think that they were ever healthy at the same time. I think that their injuries didn't line up with one another, at least in the regular season. I don't know if maybe in the 
one of the preseason games they got on the floor together for a minute or two. But in the regular season, I'm pretty sure because quickly got hurt in the first game and he was getting playing time and that was like a big deal. And then one of the only reasons that Frank then was getting playing time for those few games that he did and he played well was because quickly was hurt and uh, DSJ was hurt, I think. So it was, those two were out. And so then, you know, the DSJ experiment ended and it was just Alfred and, and Frank. And then I think that was when they also ran out some of that horrible point Burks experiment, which has just never worked anytime they tried it this year. Um, but I, I think that was the only time that Frank got playing time in the regular season. And then by the time they quickly came back from his injury, Frank was already injured. And now, you know, again, we haven't seen heads or tails of him because of the injury and then the COVID protocol. So um, not to, not to derail too far from the actual question of what we think of IQ Frank, RJ Randall, Mitch, which I guess before I answer that, Tom, I'll, I'll be a courteous host and, and throw it to you. Like, what's your thoughts on that lineup? Can the Knicks do better as far as balance on this roster than that lineup? I mean, I, I would be endlessly curious to see that actually on the court and what that product would look like. I guess my concern with it would be a couple things. I mean, shooting is always a concern. You know, Frank, even if he is a 37% three-point shooter on this tiny sample this season, he uh, he doesn't really command that respect from defenses yet. I think that defenses would need to see that over a sustained period of time to actually respect his shot and treat him like a shooter. Um, and then the other thing would be just kind of a, a lack of on-ball creation and just like ability to to penetrate defenses, to get into the paint, to kick out. Um, you know, I actually, I've liked Frank in the past as a, like a secondary pick and roll ball handler. He just, it's hard because all we really have, I have this idea of Frank and then I have the reality of Frank of how he's actually been used. And I think that in reality, this lineup is, is maybe not as balanced. I don't see if you replaced Frank with Burks, then I, I think it, it solves a little, like he's a more respected shooter. I don't think he's the defender of Frank, certainly, but just on the offensive end, I think that would help things a lot. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of had to stop romanticizing Frank in my mind, and so this is kind of part of my therapy is convincing myself that I'd rather see Burks out there. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm happy we could do that for you. <laughs> no, but it's just I do think there's some some concerns about this lineup that that Burks probably would help you know, as far as on-ball creation and uh, and shooting. Yeah, I think I will say because I I also have a tendency to uh, romanticize Frank and or at least his game, um, maybe Frank himself as well. Um, <laughs> but I I do think he legitimately made progress as an on ball guy last year. Like he just he had more juice by the end of last season as a ball handler and beating guys off the dribble. And he still he needed a screen. He needed some kind of advantage. He wasn't like what what we've seen quickly do time and time again just like from a standstill, like torching whoever was on him. But he he had a little bit more verve in his game. And I w- was so excited to see a bit more of that this season. And I think with, with all the attention, like Randall commands and the fact that teams actually have to guard Randall on the perimeter and the fact that he, even though quickly doesn't always use his gravity ideally, and sometimes he's standing maybe even too far away from the three-point line, the fact that guys have to stick with quickly um, I think I think he would he would find some success as to your point like either like a second side like pick and roll guy or or just someone who who attacks closeouts and a scrambling defense. The thing is like 
uh, what I would really be fascinated to see in this lineup is I, we, and we were, we were kind of getting into this a little bit earlier, but as far as RJ's passing goes, I want to see what he looks like in a lineup full of good ball movers. And if he can be a guy who can just like make the next pass or occasionally make like, again, like the pass that's like, like two passes away and just sort of like skip a step. Like you see all the best creators in the NBA do. Um, I want to know if he can do that within the flow of the offense because we've seen him. He has success when he can like pound the crap out of the basketball and like take like 10 seconds to survey the court and, and then like create space and then kind of make what I at least think is usually a premeditated read. And, and those are still really, really impressive passes. But I, I kind of want to see if he can just find the next guy within the flow of the offense. Like if you just plugged him in on the Utah Jazz, I think the team in the NBA that's probably the best at that right now, or in some of those like prime Spurs teams in like 2012, 13 or 13, 14, like would RJ fit seamlessly in with those groups or would he be a ball stopper? And even if he was somewhat of an unselfish one, um, would he, would he still be someone who ultimately like stalled out those kind of offenses? I think with his basketball IQ, he, he could adapt to that kind of system. But to your point, Tom, with what we've seen from him recently, I I'd be curious to see if he can actually practically do it right now. Yeah, those are all fair questions. And I'd say like, as far as just a, a team full of, of ball movers, it's 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 tough to put one together with this Knicks squad, you know, especially at the center position between Mitch and Nerlens. I mean, and, and you need like, shooting too. Is is the whole point? Because if not, like those guys aren't open. Yeah, we've seen Taj hit that corner three, and he moves the ball a little bit better, but he's not really the answer that you're looking for. So, I mean, as far as strictly balance goes, I'm sure. I imagine some of your listeners are not Frank fans. You know, because he's such a he's such a polarizing player. It's a vocal like, minority, just like, just like screaming at the at their phones, being like, "Stop talking about Frank. It doesn't matter." But you know, it's it's tough to let that go. That kind of like somewhat two way potential. Um, it's it's still kind of lingering there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I actually I, do love. We try to not talk about Frank quite as much anymore, and yet he still comes up in mailbag questions because people are still curious about him and still like him and want to like know stuff and just speculate about him and then there's always like whenever we do an episode we put out the tweet or whatever that's like all right here's what we talk about in this mailbag episode it's like why are you still talking about frank frank sucks i don't want to hear about it. and it's like dude we're just answering a question we got to ask like <laughs> there's nothing we can do about this and then, um, and then, and then season, like, but you don't have to like it yeah right at the beginning uh, of the season i wrote an article for daily nicks about why frank deserved more playing time and it was just, I mean, the amount of vitriol I got from Knicks fans, it was really something else just on social media. But um, Oh, I wrote multiple things yeah. over the offseason, one of which was like what I would do as far as like what contracts I would hand out and stuff. This is like way back in the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, I wrote something that was like, this is my ideal Knicks offseason and like laid out the cap figures and everything else. And one of the moves was like, give Frank Nilakina like a... um potentially as high as like a four year, I think I said like $44 million deal or something like that. And people like were like coming from my head. They were either like, you're a genius or you're an idiot. <laughs> There's no in between. Um, to get back to the actual question for a moment though, like if I was, <laughs> this might be a little, a little fuego takey here, but uh, if I was going to look at that lineup and say, how do I make this more balanced? I might actually say, instead of, replacing frank i might actually replace rj with alec burks um i kind of like it i kind of like it. i mean so then it's quickly frank burks randall mitch 
And the thought process there being Frank could defend pretty much anyone, you know, in that one to three department, whoever the guy on the other team you want defended the best would be. And then on offense, if you just want to use him as a spot up shooter, it's extremely small sample size, but he did look improved from, you know, the three this year, as far as like shooting in the corners. And we saw last year, I mean, last year he shot a very high percentage from the corners uh, on spot up attempts. So that's something that it seems like he can definitely do. Um, maybe you just turn him into Andre Robertson that can actually hit from the corners. Um, I mean, that's that's not too shabby of an outcome in this lineup. And then you have IQ uh, and, you know, Burks to take a little bit of playmaking responsibility. Frank to take a little bit of playmaking responsibility. Randall, of course, to do a lot of playmaking himself. Uh, but then also quickly to do the stuff that he's been doing, run pick and rolls with Mitch, uh, things of that nature, take shots off those picks, you know, keep defenses honest that way. Burks can hit the three. Burks can pass pretty well. He's a willing ball mover. Frank presumably can hit the three, could defend his ass off and is a willing ball mover and can run pick and roll with Mitch too. Like we've seen that a million times. Mitch will do exactly that. He'll run pick and roll with whoever feels like running it with him and block shots and stuff. And then Randall will just do all of his Randall stuff and continue being a good three-point shooter. But I mean, that is a lineup where in theory you could have, depending on how quickly and Frank are playing that given night, you could have four out of your five guys out there that are legitimately, you know, 35 to 40% three-point shooters and not on crap volume either. Like, I think we can reasonably say at this point, based off how he's played this year, like Julius Randle is a decent volume three-point shooter uh, as a four-man, you know, but offers so many other skills that I think are even more valuable than that. But, you know, he's he's a stretch four now. Um, and, you know, is hitting over 40% of his threes and rising because it seems like every game now he hits like four or seven. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. But I, I do think that taking RJ out would make it more balanced just due to the fact that RJ's three-point shooting, which sort of, in its, in its own little special way, brings us full circle sort of to the beginning of the show, though we still have one more question to go. Like, that, uh, it, it sort of brings us back around to the fact that, like, RJ's shooting is going to be a big determinant on how good he can be and how good he can be on a good team, basically. Yeah, and, and taking Barrett out of that lineup does not do a lot for our hopes of having him anchor that trade package for Beal, I think. Um that's not, yeah. a good, that's not a good sign. Yeah, if we're if if I'm comfortably saying like, oh, I might rather Alec Burks in there, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, again, I'm not like crapping on RJ. Like, I I really do like him, and I really do think that he has shown potentially that if he can develop consistency, like his his best games this year, he looks like a star. Um, but his worst games, like the other night, you know, against the Warriors, he just does not look good. Uh, so it's it's a fine line, I guess, as far as RJ is concerned. Yeah, yeah, when you initially said to take him out, I was like, you know, I, I, we'd miss his the pressure, the constant pressure he puts on the rim, his physicality. Like he just plays with with a fair amount of force, even on the defensive end too. But you get a lot of that pressure on the rim with Randall and Mitch. Um, so it, it's not like such a requirement in that specific lineup, and that's why. I could kind of, I see where you're coming from, you know, having Burks replace RJ in this one. Yeah. And you know, it all has to do with the, I think it does in some ways have to do with that overlap between RJ and Randall too, because if you were, we were talking about someone different, like 
let's say the Knicks employed Davis Bertans, <clears throat> excuse me, as their four, you know, then maybe I think RJ makes more sense because totally. then it's like, okay, well now RJ can run pick and pop with Bertans or pick and roll with Mitch or whatever. And he'll be the guy that's going to be driving in, trying to create those opportunities, getting to the hoop. But as it stands with this lineup, you know, I, I think quickly and Randall, you know, quickly low key, like because of that floater and the, the fact that his, his driving game has gotten a little better recently. I think he puts a good amount of pressure um, on defenses too to get to the rim and create for guys. So in that case, I just feel like I would want Alec Burks out there who's more likely to just be a spot-up three-point shooter if need be and a cutter, you know, and that sort of thing. Because he's he's made some pretty good cuts, like particularly with Randall and like the high post between Burks and Reggie Bullock. They make some really good cuts to the basket that Randall finds them for. So, you know, I, I think that would just be a better fit in that regard than RJ who – you know, tends to he he kind of needs the ball in more of a situation where he's going to be able to drive to the hoop, or he'll take a spot up three, but he's just not hitting a good percentage of them this year. So that's just kind of not a great shot for him at this particular moment in time. Yeah, we're just. I mean, I think I think we're sort of dancing around like the ultimate question with RJ, and it's that um, we at least where his game is at at this point, the optimal lineup for him involves him being being the centerpiece and, and having a ton of shooting and rim running and defense around him. But if RJ is never good enough to justify that, what's his ceiling if he's an ancillary guy? But that, that's a question for another day because we did not get it in this mailbag. Final question comes from Dylan Flag of Isle of Man at uh, football underscore Dylan. Um, and he wants to know if we make the, if we made the playoffs, would you rather play someone we beat in the first round and lose in the second or play the Nets first round and lose four, three. So I think, I I don't know the way Dylan phrased that almost made me think he leans towards the latter. Um, but I would say like, if the Knicks are in the playoffs, that would mean they're beating either Boston or Philly or Milwaukee in the first round, unless like a star gets hurt and like maybe the Knicks like flukily, like I think the. The most generous interpretation of this question where it, it's closest to me, because if, if the question is beating one of those teams or losing to the Nets, even if it's 4-3, I would, I'd beat one of those teams, I think, any day. But if it's maybe, like, let's just say Giannis got hurt and Milwaukee tumbled out of the playoffs, like, would you rather beat the Pacers in a 4-5 series and get to the second round or take the Nets to the wire? That, that's a little bit more of an interesting question to me. But, uh, Tom, how did, how did you interpret that one? Man, I don't want to lose to the Nets. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, come on. But like four, three, come on. It would be pretty cool to take, like to put a sweat into like Kyrie Irving, James Harden and Kevin Durant, like the jeers that they would get for almost losing to the Knicks. Man, think about the ecstasy of winning a playoff series. Like, I, I don't think this is even a question for me. I'm, I'm a hundred percent win a first round playoff series. I mean, that's incredible. That'd be such an overachievement given what the, this team's expectations were, what, you know, the, the Vegas odds being the worst team in the you know, projected in the league to win a first round playoff series, especially more than likely as an underdog. That is a dream scenario. Losing to the Nets would be a nightmare. I, I know too many people who root for the Nets. I would hear about it. I don't I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> All right, I like I like the definitiveness, Alex. Gavin, are we 
when you were listing off those teams, are we 100% the Celtics are going to be a team that would be a yeah, higher seed than the Knicks? That was kind of, uh, that was just kind of habit. I know. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if the Celtics are going to even like make the playoffs at this rate. They are tail spinning. Yeah, I don't um, know. I, I guess I'm just assuming Kemba will get healthier and they'll get Marcus Smart back and they'll be, they'll be a little better. And they have that trade exception. So I, I think by, I, th- I have a feeling they're going to be a four or five seed when it's all said and done. I guess we'll see, but at any rate, I think I'm with Tom on this one. Um, as as delicious as the the whole Nets thing is, which is, you know, we would have a really fun time for those, you know, seven games. And no matter what, like that, Tom. I guess to your point, like if if you have a bunch of Nets fan friends that would be gloating over winning a series four three over the Knicks, who are supposed to be a bottom five team this year, <laughs> I I think that you could comfortably say to them like get a life your team sucks like like they should have destroyed the Knicks and instead you know the Knicks just took them to the wire um but I'm with you though I would rather win a playoff series against whoever else I mean let's just assume that maybe the Knicks get the sixth seed or something and I guess who do we think the three seed would be in that case if it's probably Milwaukee uh, yeah probably Milwaukee I mean if if the option is a 6-3 matchup with Milwaukee and they beat that because I see no way that they're beating the Sixers or the or the uh, Nets in a playoff series. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, like I just I don't think that they would beat the Nets as nice as it would be to beat them. Um, but if you get matched up with the Bucks as the three seed and, you know, and you're the six and you come out and win that series, I mean, that's a huge statement. Like we were just talking about you know, on our last show about, or, you know, I brought up like the networking opportunity that Julius Randle is getting at the all-star weekend now and how that could potentially be one of the next steps towards legitimacy for the Knicks, you know, to just have a guy who's bumping elbows with those people. Well, as far as like league wide perception, the way that you get that notoriety is you take some games off a high seed in the playoffs as a lower seed or, you know, if you take a series off someone and, you know, if the Knicks led by Julius Randle beat the Bucks, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo and uh, Drew Holiday and everybody, all the other talented players that are on that team. I mean, that's that's way more valuable to me than losing to the Nets. Like I would take that 100 times out of 100. Um, even if you get into the four or five matchup territory and let's say Boston does end up there. I mean, that would be just as satisfying. I mean, there's not. There's not a single team from the uh, that could potentially finish in the, uh, I guess the three to five range. Uh, that would be a disappointment for me if the Knicks beat them. Every single one of them, it would feel better to beat them than it would to take the Nets to seven games and lose, um, because winning is better than losing. And if you're going to get to the playoffs in a year when when everybody was saying that you probably should tank and get a top pick you know, at least make it worth it and win a first round series and, and make it even more fun and keep the party going for a little longer. So I would, uh, I would definitely take the win as well. And it's really not a contest to me, to be honest. To to be clear, I, I had the same opinion as, as both of you initially, and I'm trying to make this as contentious as possible. I think if it was beating any of like, again, the teams I listed, like Celtics, like even, even the Raptors, if they get to that point, Milwaukee or Philly, I'm I'm taking that and I'm not looking back. I don't know why there's something obviously like there's the whole historical rivalry with the Pacers and that would be pretty cool, but they just feel like kind of similar to the Knicks talent wise, especially if if Karis LeVert doesn't come back this season and I really I really hope he does. But um, isn't okay, yeah. hold on. If I may interrupt real yeah, quick. Sure, is, isn't the fact that they feel 
kind of analogous to the Knicks, a, a perennial playoff team in the Pacers, the fact that they feel kind of analogous to the Knicks, a win anyway. Yeah, it is. And and, they're, like, and, and to be clear, they're better than the Knicks. Like, I'm, I'm reaching a little bit. But it just feels like, like when they play, the two times we played them this year, it hasn't felt, like, way off. Um, and, well, that's, and, that's yeah. the case with a lot of contenders the Knicks play this year, though. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I agree. There's been a lot of games they've played against teams they should have had no business competing with that have been really competitive all the way till the end. Yeah, well, including right. the Knicks winning a number of those. So the the point I'm trying to make is, um, I think if and and again, like if it was like a bullshit like seven game series where the Nets just clearly weren't interested. Like I'm thinking like the example thing of the Celtics Hawks in 2008, where the Celtics just murdered them in Game Seven. That I, I would not sign up for that over any win. If you had like an epic back and forth seven game series, and Game Seven comes down to like a KD buzzer beater or something. Obviously, that would be heartbreaking. I get the point that you'd feel worse. But the alternative, I'm assuming in the other scenario, you win a first-round series against like the Pacers, and then you get swept by Philly or Brooklyn anyways. Um, I would take the seven-game ser- the epic seven-game series against the Nets. I think people would write books about that. I-, I can imagine just doing the podcast during that. It would be scintillating Like by the time like the Knicks win game six in MSG, and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, wait, they could they could actually do that. They're going to get a game seven. It's 48 minutes of basketball. Anything could happen. That would be like maybe even more than like the Eastern Conference semis against the Pacers, the most exciting Knicks game of, of my fandom. I, I just think there's a higher ceiling there than like a, like a kind of blah series against Indiana. I get the point. Winning is cool. I would say it for any other team. I just think there's a case to be made. There's a version of a seven games net series that's better than beating a certain team. Yeah, didn't uh, I, you know what I was thinking of when you were bringing up the the Celtics one, but like sort of the opposite of that? Didn't uh, Dallas right before, San Antonio? Is that what you're thinking? There was that one. I was saying but Cavaliers, I was, Cavaliers Raptors when LeBron was like asked about it before Game Seven, and, and LeBron said something like. I've been in stressful situations before. This ain't one of them or something. Oh, yeah. Also, Well, there was also Cavs Pacers in 2018 where I think it went, where Oladipo was like out of his mind. And I think it went seven. Yeah. I was thinking of the, the, um, didn't the Thunder like right before their come up, didn't they take the Lakers to seven in the first round or did they go six or something? They, they, they gave them like a good, it was like, it they was, gave them a really good, like yeah. that was when Durant was still like 21 years old and like Westbrook was like, maybe a rookie or second year or something like that. And I don't know if they had hardened just yet, but it was like right before they were like one or two years away from the, from making it to the finals. And they took the Lakers as the, the eight one matchup. They took at least two games off them or maybe three. I guess that would be kind of analogous to like, if the Knicks were able to take three games off the nets this year, but still I'm taking the win still. I don't care. I, I, I will not be swayed, Gavin. Although I do agree, both would be pretty sweet in their own way. But I just think winning a playoff series would just be so much sweeter. Tom, and then, you, we... get, and then you get at least four more playoff games. Like just yeah, exactly. Even if the Knicks get swept in the next round, it's already you're playing with house money. Like you can still enjoy it. You know, even if it's sad, it, no matter what, you're walking away with your head held high because you go, know, this team that was supposed to be, you know, on the Cade Cunningham Express just won a playoff series this year. Like that's wild. I mean, that shows that you're on a super upward trajectory. Like even more so than the Nets' trajectory. That the the Knicks, you know, I've even made the comparison myself that it feels like the Knicks are sort of on that same general path right now that the Nets went when you know D'Lo kind of had his come up and you know they they hit 500. They made the playoffs, but they kind of got 
you know, rolled over by the uh, Sixers that year in the playoffs. But then that eventually led to, you know, Kyrie and KD coming there. And and now, of course, James Harden via trade. You know, it does it does kind of feel like the Knicks are sort of on that same path. But winning a playoff series puts you even further down that path to like, OK, this team is legitimate and Julius Randle is legitimate. Like he just won a first round playoff series. Get him another star and maybe the Knicks are you know, with some depth ads or looking at a team that could threaten for the Eastern Conference Finals like within a few years or something. Man, if um, you would have told me before the season that I'd be talking about potentially the second round of the playoffs, you know, near March, <laughs> I would think you are crazy. So even the fact that this is even a, a topic of discussion is a win in my book. Oh, I for think, sure. I yeah. think that's a that that's a pretty that's a pretty good note to end on, and I'm I'm in total agreement. Uh, Tom, before we send you on your way, can you tell everyone one final time where they can find all your work? Yeah, you could uh, tune in to Talking Knicks, a, a part of the John Boy Media Network. Um, you could follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. I uh, I've been tweeting out some videos for for Talking Knicks as well, and and doing some articles for Knicks Film School. So. Yeah, churn out some content. You can see it all on my Twitter page. And I really do appreciate you guys having me on. Of course, Tom. Thanks for coming as always. You know, this is a fantastic guest mailbag. We always love doing the mailbag episodes, but it's even more fun with extra perspective. And I'm sure everybody else agrees too, because you have some great perspectives on everything. Uh, but at any rate, this has been Locked on Knicks. Thank you all for tuning in. And we'll be back with some more game recaps. Some more mailbag questions still to close out the month and more coming up soon. So until next time, peace out. We'll talk to you all soon.